On episode 271 of the Tennis Files podcast, you'll learn why obsession is the key to your tennis success with coach Peter Freeman. Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s inspired style and cutting edge performance technology with its sleek mid-cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi-piece upper construction delivers high energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at newbalance.com. Welcome to the Tennis Files podcast, bringing you advice from the top minds in tennis to help you improve your game. And now, here's your host, Mirban Iranshad. Hey there, welcome to another episode of the podcast, and I'm happy to have you on listening because we have a great interview with Coach Peter Freeman. I'm sure many of you know Peter from my podcast episodes with him or seeing him give some great quality instruction on the Tennis Summit. And today we have an episode for you about why obsession is the key to your tennis success. And uh, obsession sometimes can be seen by people as too unhealthy and just too hardcore. And, you know, some players even want to be seen as not giving too much effort to try to look cool and things like that. But we'll break uh, some of these myths uh, down on the episode and talk about things like why you need a healthy obsession for the game, how to develop an inner drive to keep improving, why you'll always have enough time for something if it's important enough to you, the biggest obstacle to staying on track to improve and how to avoid it, how to deal with adversity, how your NTRP rating can actually hurt your development, and much more. Uh, And Pete does a lot of great stuff on his YouTube channel at Crunch Time Coaching. He was named the Georgia Pro of the Year. And I'm really excited to announce that Peter is hosting TennisCon 6 coming up very soon. Uh, by the time you listen to this, uh, registration will be out uh, or will be open already. So definitely highly encourage you to check it out. And you can go to tennisfiles.com slash tenniscon6. That's T-E-N-N-I-S-F-I-L-E-S dot com slash T-E-N-N-I-S-C-O-N-6 and register for free. And there's also an option to get the all-access pass if you'd like to. Um, But yeah, it's just a fantastic event with a lot of amazing coaches on there. And you'll learn about, you know, all things tennis and you'll get to improve your game, you know, whether it's fitness, strategy, mental game, etc. So yeah, I'm definitely going to be tuning in as I do every year. and. Uh, You also want to register too, because then you'll get to see Peter and I uh, do a bunch of live streams together. I think we have three that we've scheduled. So that's going to be super fun. And I know Peter's going to do some giveaways as well. So it's all in good fun and learning. So definitely again, head on to tennisfiles.com slash tenniscon6 to register for tenniscon6. But yeah, with that, I'm really excited to bring you this interview. I think you'll get a lot out of it. Peter always brings out the uh, the golden nuggets, if you will, in terms of uh, ways to improve your game. So uh, without further ado, here is my interview with Coach Peter Freeman. Welcome to another lovely interview with my lovely friend, Peter Freeman. Uh, Peter, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. I'm so excited to be on your podcast. Thank you. Thank you. Always so much fun having you on here. 
Um, you know, obviously I love interviewing everybody, but you know, especially when, when you interview a, a good friend, it's, uh, that much for more fun and, uh, interesting and free flowing. So, uh, great to have you on as always, Peter. And yeah, today we're going to be talking about obsession. You know, this is a topic that we haven't really explored too much on the podcast. Uh, so I'm excited to talk about that as well as, you know, eventually we're going to talk about uh, TennisCon 6, which really, really excited and honored to be a part of that. That's always such an incredible event, such a Herculean effort uh, to put that one together. So definitely you'll want to check that out and you can go to tennisfiles.com slash tenniscon6 and the link will be in the show notes page. So yeah, Peter. Uh, yeah, let me let me ask you about that, you know, because you're in the thick of it right now um, preparing for tenniscon6. So how have you been? Have you had any free time? Have you been able to go outside and breathe some fresh air? What's going on? <laughs> well, yeah, I actually had time to breathe some fresh air this morning. I was outside. It was about seven o'clock in the morning, and I was working out, nice. doing shadow strokes, boom, and footwork drills, uh, right at our complex here with my buddy B two. Who, if you don't know who B two is, he's my best friend, my dog. So, uh, yeah, still going strong, and and I'm obsessed, just like everybody else, obsessed with this wonderful game of tennis. Love to hear it, Peter, and so am I, or at least my friends tell me. But yeah, let's get into. Obsession, you know, before this uh, call or before the recording, rather, we were talking about, you know, that that there seems to be kind of even a negative connotation about being obsessed and some misconceptions uh, about it. So you want to start off by talking about that? Yeah, I think sometimes when we love something so much, uh, we can start to feel self-conscious about it. Sometimes people knowingly or unknowingly can make us feel guilty about it. You know, like, oh, get a life. You ever heard that? Like, I'm going to go do this. I'm going to do that. Oh, go get a life. That's all you think about. That's all you do. You know, but when you really look at people who have just a lifelong passion for something, uh, they're obsessed with it and they get so much uh, re rewards out of it, so much enjoyment. They learn a lot about themselves. They're always challenging themselves. Uh, trying to get themselves to the next level. And and I think it's a great thing. And and really what comes to mind when I think about obsession, maybe the most obsessed person I can think of uh, besides Rafa Nadal, that's another one that's popped in my head, is, is Tom Brady. You know, the guy is now 45 years old. I actually look at the way he plays and I'm thinking the last couple of years, the guy's actually getting better, not getting older and worse. He's somehow... Uh, to me, looks like he moves faster he, than he did when he was younger. Uh, his arm looks just as strong, and he's able to, you, you know, uh, perform under extreme pressure. In the game one of this year, he ran a two-minute drill to 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 lead his team to victory. So, and he's a guy that will watch film all the time. Like, how many football games has he been involved in? And he's still watching uh, film on football. And uh, it's it's that type of mindset that no matter what you do and what type of level you're at is going to uh, always keep your mind challenged and, and, and keep you engaged. And, and I think that's what's most important, even more than the actual results of winning and losing. Yeah, 100%, Peter. I mean, I think about 
the times where I accomplished, you know, the biggest goals that I've had, you know, whether that's, um, you know, any of the stuff that I do for tennis files, or if it's like, you know, like sectionals or, you know, a tournament and like, it's, you know, I've been obsessed at those moments, you know, I've just been fully engaged in like, just trying to study as much as I can and preparing as much as I can. And, you know, that's really kind of the key to success that I've found, you know, obviously there's certain people that, you know, maybe you have to dial a, a bit back at some points, but uh, I think for the most part, and, and definitely for me, I, I think the the obsession route has been key to my development um, in both my um, career and, and tennis as well. So, you know, what are some steps to becoming uh, obsessed? Like what sorts of things do we want to do? Because that seems like, again, it's like a key trait to those who are successful. Well, I think you just leave no stone unturned and you just embrace uh, the idea of being obsessed and you don't feel guilty about it and you don't ever wonder or worry if you're you're doing too much. I mean, I'm, I'm obviously physically you can do too much if you feel like, well, I keep working out, I'm getting hurt all the time. I'm not talking about that. But uh, I even want to use you as an example in this is, you know, our tennis con coaches, the people who are presenters and coaches at tennis con, they are for the most part obsessed with what they do. I'm always looking on Instagram and seeing you interviewing somebody else where you have the tennis summit. Well, all throughout the year, you're interviewing all these really great coaches. Um, you took it a challenge uh, a couple of years ago to uh, get in better shape. And uh, I made a joke to you today. I sent a text. I said, I don't, I don't like your video you sent in this year because you look younger and fitter and have more hair than last year. You know, So right. like, and and so it's it's that that really is is so important i think is the idea of always keeping that hunger uh never feeling uh satisfied but but not in a frustrated way like it, like always going what is next i can't wait to see what's next what can i do what else can i learn and the idea of to me oh, i've seen it all i've heard it all in tennis i really i mean what else are you going to tell me that i already know you know, that to me is a limited mindset. And, and a lot of people who think that way, from what I've noticed, they get to a certain level and then they plateau and then they're willing to hear an idea here and there, get kind of engaged here and there, but then something usually is a roadblock to where they either just stop learning or stop going to the practice court or they're trying a new idea to implement in their game. They try it for a little bit. Oh, that's not going to work for me. And they, that, those are the people that stay stuck. Yeah. And I have some follow-ups that I jotted down here. So I guess, first of all, um, how do you kind of balance out like obsession with maybe, um, maybe getting to be like too much or like unhealthy or stressful? Like what, what's the key to, to that sort of balance? Well, another guy that I want to talk about is Milan, who uh, is with 10 Fit Men. And he has now worked out for close to a thousand days. You can look at his Instagram. I think he's up to like day 982 in a row or something like that. He's so not beast. only is he working out, yeah, but the time it takes to then make sure at, um, making a video, editing the video, posting it, that's another <laughs> you know set of uh, obsession, dedication, persistence, consistency. And he talked about that, you know, he used to play on the tour a bit. He 
has been a practice partner to Djokovic. I've seen him hitting with one of the Bryan brothers. He's a very high-level player. And right now, he's not on the tour. He's coaching. But he wants to be fit and ready if he ever gets that call. He doesn't want to go, well, I'll get ready if I get the call. No, he wants to be ready from day one. And But he says the biggest reason that he does it is not for the likes on Instagram. It's not even to get the call. It's that inner drive. It's that idea that I'm proud of myself, that I've done it again, that I showed up again. And he said that, um, you know, he doesn't know when the streak is going to end. He wants the streak to just keep going. Because I asked him, when is the streak going to end? He says, I, I, I just want to keep going and going. And that, to me, really crystallizes what being obsessed and being dedicated and just enjoying the process. And here's another thing about enjoying the process. Enjoying the process doesn't mean that you're always in love or happy about what you're doing because he said that most days, which is incredible if you think about a guy who's gone 982 days in a row, he goes, most days I don't want to do the workout. That shocked me. He's like, most days I don't feel like doing it. And if you've ever seen the guy, he's certainly fit enough to where he could skip a day, a week, a month and still look ripped. So, But he said, but once I start and I get in it, I just get so happy that I'm doing it, almost to the point where he, it like brings tears of joy, he said. And when he's done, the high that he has, and he says, he, and, and that was his message to everybody. He's like, you know, when you do something, you know, even if it's something you don't want to do, but when you do it, after you're done, you're done, you never regret that you actually did it. Yeah, I, I love that. And you made me think about David Goggins, who um, you, you might have heard of. Uh, he has this book called Can't Hurt Me. And I see him, he's on Instagram and he has like the most hilarious, um, you know, uh, stories and videos, but, you know, uh, uh, not safe for work. It could be some of those. But yeah, he, you know, he, he does things that he hates. Like he actually hates running. And that's like his primary exercise that he does every day for like so many miles. And he's ran like ultra marathons, things like that. And he also will do other things that he hates too, like, um, like diving in water, like, cause he, he's always hated swimming, but he did it, you know, as part of being like the Navy, uh, buds program. And yeah, you know, I think it's, it's just kind of training your mind as well, because a lot of times the mind controls us and we just do things habitually like automatically um and we seek comfort but you know he does that that those sorts of things that he hates so that he can retain control of himself and so i i just draw some parallels with milan here where he, he like he says that he hates working out but he's doing it just to you know show him show him show himself that he has that mental toughness to do things that he necessarily doesn't want to do or that he's fighting you know the um the creature comfort sort of thing and you know a lot of times we when we fight through it like milan has that great feeling of accomplishment so that's really like uh, a big thing i'm curious though kind of to dive a little bit deeper into milan's um whole thing and i don't know if you know the answer to this but like how could he work out, you know, close to a thousand days in a row without any sort of like, um, you know, injuries or anything like that? Is he given any insight into like, is he kind of having rest days where he does like minimal workouts? Because that's obviously something that, you know, people talk about a lot in terms of balance as well. Well, I think when you're, I mean, he's a pretty high level athlete. Like uh, if you guys don't know who I'm talking about, go to Instagram and look him up, 10 Fit Men. 
Milan. Yeah. You'll see him. He's got like a beard and he's ripped. And yeah. And um, from what I can understand is I don't think he takes too many easy days. He doesn't take too many short days. Uh, Dang. Uh, you know, but, but again, I think what allows him to do this, uh, of course, he is younger. I mean, uh, you're still pretty young and uh, but you know not everybody can work out as as much as Milan I'm not I'm not saying I'm using him as an example as mental toughness but he's in an age where he can do it and he leaves no stone unturned like it's not like every single workout all he does is just like jump up and down do 100 kangaroo jumps and kill his body he also does (laughs) he does everything he's very very flexible yeah he's very explosive He, he he takes care of his entire body and and he eats right so when you get in the habit of of doing all the right things besides just doing a hard workout you can work out every day his body's gotten used to it his body is is kind of past the soreness not to say that he never gets up and feels sore or there's nagging things i'm sure he has that but also high level athletes can tell the difference between uh pain that's a soreness and pain that is an illness uh, not, not an, Ill, an injury i meant to say that you know like well if i keep doing this then you know I, i'm i'm gonna not gonna be able to play anymore so i think he knows that and uh, thank goodness he hasn't run into an actual injury um that i know yeah. of yeah yeah good stuff good stuff so more an obsession i mean and this you know this happens with me all the time like a lot of people like how do you deal with the the laziness factor because like you know you can have an obsession or maybe you develop one um you know for a little bit but then there's all these like roadblocks and like obviously like we talked about earlier like you know your mind wants you to do things that are comfortable um so let's say you know you you you, you're obsessed with like improving your serve but then you know maybe you you try a new technique and then it doesn't pan out and then like your favorite tv shows like on and you just want to do watch that instead of train like how how do you kind of (laughs) battle with that uh that conflict well another great presenter that's been part of tennis con been a part of the tennis summit we we, we've both been so lucky to have multiple times is rick macy and Mm -hmm. so when i when i hear you say that i think it's about drinking your own Kool-Aid, you know, like Rick Macy mm-hmm. has come up with all these lines. Persistence is undefeated, you know, yeah. a run for every, every ball. And, right. and, and he's always positive. He, he, he tells me that he loves getting up at four in the morning and getting to the court and teaching from 6.30 a.m. to 5 p.m. every day, a guy who's in his 60s. He tells me he loves to do it every day. And he has definitely trained his mind to where it's not like he's blowing smoke up his you-know-what. He actually bought in to his own propaganda. So, I mean, I don't know if you can call it propaganda or not, but what I'm saying is he's built, he's come up with all these mantras that he believes in that he also lives. And I think that that is important because if you have this where you're like, you have these beliefs and then you just really keep reminding yourself and remind everybody about these beliefs, you can then deal with adversity. It's not like he says that, you know, there's no adversity in what he does and that it's not hard what he does, but he's grateful for being able to do it every day and he doesn't take it for granted. And I think that that's another thing. It's, it's really easy as a tennis player because it is a tough sport 
to start to have a pity party going, you know, oh, well, you know, uh, I'm trying really hard, but, you know, I'm still stuck at the same level. I've been trying to change my serve, but it's still the same. You know, I've been trying to beat this player, but I still lose to him or her. And you, it, it's easy to kind of do that and go, you know, well, I, I'm just not going to put as much time in or I'm going to give up or I'm going to go play uh, pickleball. Right. Ah. So it's, <laughs> it's easy to do all that. But if you if you then start to remind yourself, well, well why did I start this game in the beginning? Why? Well, I just love tennis. I love the way it looks. I love the way the ball sounds. Uh, you know, uh, every day I, I, the place where I live, I just absolutely love the weather that I get to play in, or I love the club that I belong to, or my coach is so cool, or I love learning from these online instructors. Like keep reminding yourself of all the grateful things that you have associated and tied with tennis. You know, and 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 you gotta remind yourself how good you really have it. Yesterday I watched a video on the five worst jobs in the world are hard are most dangerous. And there are so many of them where people are literally working around acid and covering, carrying hundreds of pounds of sulfur on their back every day, which is not only hard to do, but life-threatening and climbing up mm. in trees and getting acai berries for everybody to have their nice smoothie. Like, <laughs> and, they're, and they're getting paid like $17 a day. Mm. And, and so if you're on a little bit of a losing streak – or you can't fix your serve in a month, you know, you, you really don't have, yeah, it's perspective. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's a great technique as well, uh, Peter. You know, when I'm on the court and I'm having a rough time, sometimes I think about how lucky I am to just play the beautiful sport of tennis and uh, just be out here and, you know, have all my limbs knock on wood and, and things like that. And so, yeah, the perspective is a big, big part of it um, <clears throat> for sure. And, uh, you know, I, I want to ask you too, like about tennis con, are there any other, um, I'm curious, like presentations maybe in like the, the mental game realm that you think are pretty interesting if you want to like dive into any of those? Well, yeah, actually, uh, I'm getting ready to interview, uh, Jeff Greenwall again. Oh yeah. What I love about these people is, you know, so many of them are very high achieving, uh, everybody is not some of every single one. But you can relate to them as people. You know, they're, they're not getting paid millions of dollars to play, but they have a motivation to still do it at a very high level. Jeff, Jeff Greenwald's one of the best players over 50 in the entire world. In yeah. the entire world. Mm -hmm. And he's going to talk about how to play fearless tennis, building your mental toughness. But here's the cool thing that he's going to do this year that I find really exciting. He's going to train us how we can actually measure if we're getting better at our mental toughness aspect. So uh, we haven't done that interview yet. We're, we're uh, going to probably do it tomorrow. And I'm really excited to that because I'm like, oh, that's a, that's a new angle. How do you actually measure mental toughness? It's easy to kind of measure a serve like, oh, I made seven out of 10 serves. You know, I made this mm. percentage of serves in my matches or I'm able to rally 15 times in a row cross court. You can measure that. But how do you measure mental toughness? And, mm. and, and, and it's, you know, you can always say, well, I won my match. I must have been mentally tough. Or I lost my match. I must have been mentally weak. No, you can, you can win a match and be a mental mess. And you can lose a match. 
I, I remember just just for myself that this you know that's how much I love tennis. It brings back all these great flashbacks. One match I'm most proud of is when I was in a junior tennis and I was just moving up the ranks and moving up the ranks. And I played this one guy who was uh, number one in the state and I lost in three sets. And and the time before I played him, he he just destroyed me. Then I lost in three sets and it was so close. It was such a fun match. He was such a great guy too. Hmm. I jumped over the net to shake his hand and I lost. Wow. But you know what? The next time I beat him and I never lost to him again. Boom. But, yeah, boom. <laughs> Booyah. But yeah, but it was the but I was the most excited about that loss because I knew I had performed at a level that I never did before. Love that. Yeah, that is such an interesting question to explore, which I mean, obviously, um, uh, Jeff will give you the answer to. But I, you know, I was trying to think about the answer to that and like it maybe be interesting to compare his answer with mine. But him, you know, obviously, Jeff has way more expertise than I do um, on the mental game. But, you know, I think I would probably like measure I would define what is a pressure point and then I would analyze like the performance on those pressure points. And I might even maybe give my opponents ratings as well to like have a baseline of like you, how well you performed against another person relative to how well they perform under pressure. And obviously this all takes so much tracking. I mean, maybe like on the pro tour, they have, you know, they could go back to video and do it, but like playing as an amateur, it would be kind of tough. Um, unless you record every single match, but then you wouldn't have necessarily a recordings of the opponent and how they perform for that rating. Um, hopefully that wasn't too confusing, but yeah, that's that's a really interesting question. I mean, did, have you formulated any sort of well, thought yeah, on here's, that? Here, yeah, here's what I would do. I would I'd measure how many times I threw my racket, how many <laughs> how many curse words I said, how embarrassed I am on a scale of one to ten leaving the club as people uh-huh. watch me walk out. And the more the better, right? So you must be like super no, not high the more ranked, the, bro. Yeah, no, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I oh, have walked it. out of some clubs in my life uh, embarrassed. So Yeah, so have I. You know, I, that's another thing too. Like I used to, in juniors, probably until I think the 16s maybe, I would always be thinking about like, oh my gosh, so I'm playing X and you know there's like five people here that know how good x is or how bad they are so if i lose to x then i'm gonna look like a clown and like i just let all that pressure pile into me you know or like oh this guy's closely ranked to me and like i'm really scared to play him like i don't know there's so many like external things that now i don't let affect me as much or at all um but yeah the mental game man it's it's very interesting it's crazy it's crazy tennis yeah, it definitely is. Definitely is. Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s inspired style and cutting edge performance technology with its sleek mid cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi piece upper construction delivers high energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at newbalance.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. 
Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I guess uh, one other thing that you, that we were talking before I hit the record button here was like um, the lack of time excuse that people have. So like, how do you, how do you go about that? Cause you know, obviously, you know, as you mentioned, there are people of course who, you know, their parents, they have jobs or doing other things. So like, how does that work? Well, I have a couple of different thoughts on it. You know, like I like to come up with this idea of, you know, if you want to get to another level as a tennis player, and certainly we're not pros, we don't have the the amount of coaches, the amount of income, you know, everything right. that the pros the pros have at their disposal to train all day, and uh, that's their job. But I do think that you should practice like a mini pro, like, you know, like mini pro practices so, to where so many people just go out, they hit some balls sometimes, and then they play their matches and then rinse and repeat. And then they, again, they, they're staying at the same level where uh, professional athletes, they're always practicing in a closed to an open environment. And so what does that mean? That means that a closed environment would be Steph Curry, you know, doing his dribbling exercises by himself before each and every game. That's closed, right? He's in control of that. A closed environment where you can find videos of Denis Shapovalov getting the ball fed underhand to him and then hitting a perfect looking yeah. backhand. You know, yeah. watching so many videos, and especially one thing that is really cool in this day of social media is seeing so many of the the players practice. I just saw um, Garbin Muguruso. I don't know if I'm saying yeah. that right. Muguruza, yeah. Muguruza. Uh, she was um, on her Instagram and she she was, it was cold too. It was kind of cool. She was, and she was doing this workout and she was doing these shadow strokes and the person mm. had like a, a band holding her. So she had a lot of resistance oh, yeah, and she'd that. run out and yeah. hit shadow strokes. You know, those are all closed practices and they're so important to really get down your technique and create perfection. But it's also then important to open up chapters in a book and challenge yourself more with rallies and then counting how many you can make in a row to then playing points to also maybe having a little bit of a punishment if you don't reach your goal so you know what it feels, what pressure feels like. And um, which I have a good one if you can remind me remind me after that. And then and then ultimately playing your matches and rinse and repeating. That's how that's how you can do that. And you can find the time to do that, uh, like the pros. And and if you say that you can't find the time. Uh, there's a guy named Brent Abel who's part of Tennis Con, and he started playing tennis when he was 35. Okay, mm. then he became a coach, a tennis coach. That's how obsessed he became with it. He started playing when he was 35. Then he became a coach, and then uh, most people who become a coach, once they start coaching, they're like, I don't have any darn time to hit a tennis ball. A tennis ball is the last thing I want to do when the day is over. But he uh, got so in the competition that he won 11 gold balls after starting at age 35. And he, and I gave him that same thing. I'm like, yeah, but you know, so many people say that they don't have time to improve a weakness. They just don't have the time to dedicate to it. And he said, look, I always found the time. He's like, I had, I had a kid. I was, I was working on the court all day. It's just like, it, you, you can't say you're obsessed with something and that you want to get better and then come right out with the next sentence and say, you don't have the time to do it. Yeah, most definitely. I mean, um, you know, obviously I probably have more time than others being, uh, you know, 
not married or anything, but there's, I, you know, I'm pretty busy and things like that, but like, I, you know, I've done like a time audit before and like, I, and you can even just look at your phone as well, you know, see how much time you spend on apps. Like, you know, okay, what did I do, you know, on Monday and Tuesday and like, oh, wow, actually I watched like an hour and a half of YouTube. I watched like a show for an hour and then you're going to find all these pockets of time. So I think more likely than not, you know, the people who say that they don't have time, it is, you know, somewhat of an excuse, you know, unfortunately, um, you have to admit and that, you know, you can always like curtail certain things, delete them from your schedule. And, you know, if you really want to do something, do it. Um, you know, I find like there's certain projects that I have to do for tennis files, for example, where that are so important that even if I'm super busy, like I just, I make the time, like it has to happen and it happens. So, um, really good, really good, uh, point there, Pete. And, and you told me to remind you about like, was it a pressure game example you said that you were talking about? Okay. Yeah, so so here's one I just did at my last camp. Okay, we were working on the serve, and one thing that was interesting is I had them warm up a basket. Now everybody's, you know, by the end of the basket, they're making most of their serves, and that was pretty good. So there's four people, and then what I had was I set up a target, and it was two people had to face off against each other and serve, and the one who made it got to stay in and and challenge another person and get mm. a point. And what ended up happening was that all of a sudden, even the best player who was a 4-0 plus player, I'd say, and the, the weakest player was probably a 3-0 plus player, no one all of a sudden could make one serve. Because we add a little bit of pressure, and what's another thing we did? We also added time. You know, when you're practicing a basket of serves. So this is, again, another thing I challenge people to do. Uh, you practice a basket of serves, you can get in a pretty good rhythm by the end of the basket, but it's not at all realistic to a, a, a match to where you're playing one point, then the point ends, then you got to go walk back to the fence, get a ball, go and serve again. So you're realistically serving probably every 30 to 50 seconds, which is about the time that it took people to come up and serve. But that wait time and then watching your peers serve and then seeing your peers get nervous and then the coach is watching. All of a sudden, that's a lot of pressure in a very simple drill. And they couldn't really get used to executing until they got over the idea that, okay, this drill isn't going away. I got to figure out a way to settle my mind down. So I think in the first couple of minutes, it wasn't even worth giving a technical tip because when you get so nervous and you're not comfortable with something, you start to feel stuff in your body to where you almost don't even feel in touch with your own body. So you've got to put yourself under pressure situations, get used to that. And then once you get used to that, then your body can be receptive to like one word tips where if you're so nervous, it doesn't matter how many tips you give <laughs> yourself because your body yeah. can't even, you know, the brain and the body are just not even talking to each other. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. That may reminded me, I recently was looking at some past summit uh, sessions and, and, you know, Jorge Capistani is a great coach. I'm sure he's, he's on tennis con, but he, um, he had, has some really good pressure games. Um, so those are great. Um, but yeah, anyways, uh, what, what other question that I had to, um, when you mentioned about how, like, you know, uh, us as club level players, like we're, we're not like the pros where we're like playing for tons of money and like grand slams. Uh, just kind of like a um, basic question, like, why do you think we should we should then even strive for improvement? You know, like if, you know, because some might think like, well, you know, I'm not going to win money, like I'm not going to 
be at the highest level. So why even, why even improve? Yeah, I think that's a great, I think that's a great question. Uh, I, I think cause so many people who are watching and listening to your podcast and listening to tennis con and going online, they want to learn a certain way. They want to learn the art of tennis. It's not just about winning and losing, but then when you get into a match, it becomes all about winning and losing. So you got to mm -hmm. keep reminding yourself, what do you like about tennis? And mm. I remember just, a, and you were probably the same way since you were a, a high level junior player and played college tennis is besides the way in losing, it's, it's enjoying the, the, the art of the game, the style mm. of the game, learning a new skill. Yeah. Like you have to make that just as enjoyable, if not more enjoyable than, than winning a match. Cause I find what ends up happening was you're like, get excited to learn something new. Then it doesn't work in a match. And then you're like, well, I don't want to do it anymore. Cause that was humiliating. I went out and tried the, my new shot. It completely fell apart. So it's, it's that inner satisfaction of the things that you want to get. And to realize that you just can't, watch a video and get excited and then earn the right to then own and master that skill. It takes a long time to master that skill. And so if you really do want to master it, you know, you got to have more of that growth mindset, be patient and enjoy the process and the, and the small victories, which isn't always easy to do. Yeah, no, definitely. Definitely. Um, a lot of things that you know, come from tennis, like, uh, even if you're not <laughs> winning the highest at the highest levels is, um, just, just kind of getting used to, um, like self-improvement, you know, like it's kind of like a habit. If you're the type that's like always problem solving and trying to improve your game, um, and staying level headed as you do need to be in tennis, like that transfers over to other aspects of your life. And of course, you know, winning feels really good a lot of times. And, and yeah, just knowing that you're, you're, you're just progressing uh, in life uh, through tennis and also, you know, it's so healthy. <laughs> so those are some of the you, great rewards. You, you made a great point. One that I've been thinking more and more about it, it, because it doesn't matter how good your strokes look or what level you are at. Because, uh, you know, because ultimately you're going to be playing people at your level. So uh, whether you're a 3-0, a 5-0 on the tour, you know, you're going to face somebody as well as yourself who's going to present problems. And we always dream of going out there and playing in the zone. We're always looking to play in the zone, right? And we always want to win 6-0, 6-0, but that rarely happens. Most of the time, most days we're going to be presented with problems. And the more that you embrace the idea and get excited about that tennis is the ultimate problem-solving sport, you know, you're out there by yourself or you're with one other partner and, you know, a lot of things can fall apart. Your strokes can fall apart. Your opponents can be playing great. The wind can be there. The sun can be there. there there's always different problems on every single day that you play. And the more that you kind of start to get excited about it, you know, like, oh, wow, you know, like the sun's in my face today. How am I going to actually still figure out a way to get in the box, you know? things like that yeah. the more you look at the game like that you're gonna you're gonna enjoy it look for the problems they're gonna show up and then be excited when you see one come up and go okay this is a cool challenge to see how i can respond to this yeah what is the number one um killer or roadblock to obsession and then how do you deal with that i think one of the things that is and you have to have it because you have to know who to play with and who to play against um but I really think that the rating system is a mm. growth killer 
because see my uh, shirt here, <laughs> USDA uh, league, <laughs> USDA <yeah>. league. <laughs> it's 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 a growth killer because number one, you can start to label yourself. You can start to say, "I'm a three five, I'm a three five, I'm a three five. Mm-hmm. You're up here saying, "I'm a yeah. three five. Right? You know, well, oh well, how good are you? I'm a three five, right? And so that's that that can get in, into your head. You just start to think, "Well, I'm just a three five. And mm. and to get to a four zero just seems, and it is a big mountain to climb, but it can certainly be done. But it really shouldn't be about just having that number behind your name as far as how good or bad you're getting. And I think that that is the biggest obstacle: is that you start to label yourself who you are, and then you look at the next level, and you're like, "Well, I want, yeah, I want to be a four zero. I want, I want to get that letter in the mail from USTA that says I'm a four zero, and that will validate all the." hard work I'm putting in. And, and then when you don't get it, it becomes frustrating. And then you're like, ah, forget this. I, I'm, I'm tired of beating my head against the wall. And so I think if you, again, just look at, okay, I want to get better. I'm a, yeah. I've been a 3.5. And this is one of the bonuses that I actually um, give in TennisCon 6 as a bonus. I have how to win at your level, singles and doubles edition, and how to get to the next level, singles and doubles edition. So, mm. you know, one, one of the clear delineations I find from 3.5 to 4.0 is all of a sudden, you know, you're not going to see many people at middle of the road 4.0 to pushing to 4.5 that have, you know, the hammer grip and the waiter tray. They're, gonna, they're going to have a serve that, of course, it's not Roger Federer's serve, but it, it's somewhere in the ballpark of looking like a professional serve. Those are the people that play that level. So you got to start to go, okay, well, if I want to get to that level, I've got to embrace the learning process of actually learning how to do that and not to put a rush on it. Like I've got to get it done in six months so then I can get bumped up to a 4.0 because it's not going to happen in six months. And you have to you have to be mature enough to understand that, that when a kid, lots of people think kids developed faster and improve faster than adults. I absolutely don't believe that. But it's the expectation that, you know, Johnny starts learning how to hit a real serve when he's 10. And by the time he's 13, it looks pretty good. And it's starting to look like a real serve. And by the time he's 15, it's actually a weapon. And that's five years. But yeah. most adults think like, well, shoot, if I can't get this done in six months, I must be a loser, you know? And are you really, really working on it? Absolutely for six months. Or are you going back and forth? You know, you've got to, in your practices, just practice one way and practice in progressions if you want to get it. You can still go out and play your matches. In fact, I recommend you play your matches with the old way, the way that you're used to, the way you know you get that ball in the box. But then you've got to really tie those practice sessions close together after your matches of practicing the new way so that it starts to feel better and better and better and the old way feels worse and worse and worse. And it can happen because just yesterday in my private lesson on Sunday, this one woman she had no concept of how to hit her spin serve. So we were working on that. In the beginning, one was spin, one was flat, spin, flat, hard, you know, going down the tee, out wide. And I said, I just want you curving it to where it's slicing towards, you know, to the sideline. And then we did a couple of field drills to where she started to feel it. She liked it. And then more and more, she could see the ball doing what we talked about. And then like five minutes later, she hit one that was flat again. And right away, rather than me going, which I had to in the beginning, saying, that's not it. That didn't have enough spin. She goes, oh, that's not it. Like that, that wasn't it. Like she could already feel 
that that was the foreign one. That was the bad one in the patch that we got to throw out. So, you know, the more you do stuff like that, you can actually, you know, learn and progress a lot. But she progressed a lot yesterday. The million dollar question is, is she on the court today doing that same drill? If she is, she can get better. If she comes back next week to me and, and she hasn't done it once, we're starting right back where we left off. Yeah, love that, love that, and uh, very impressed, Pete. You use the word delineations. I think that's like the highest level word I've heard you use during that's all our interviews. Only, that's Are the you only smart word I know? That's it. <laughs> it's a good word. It's a good word, um, Peter. Um, you know, as I mentioned, you know, I'm just like so excited for for TennisCon six, and um, yeah, I was wondering, you know, if you could give us like any other insights into some of the other you know, presentations and things that, uh, that'll be going on, um, or anything uh, else interesting. All right. So I'm really excited because this year is again, amazing. We've got, just think about this first two presentations. I mean, they're not going to be the first two on, on, on the day, but you got 17 time grand slam champion. Who am I going to say? Gigi Fernandez. We have her, but I was going to say Mark Woodford. Oh, so we've got now it's 34, 34, 34 just in two presentations. Damn. So Mark, Mark Woodford's part of Tennis Con 6, which we're excited about. That's we're awesome. going to talk about how to play with any partner, which is, uh, you know, very challenging because everybody's on leagues and is always playing with all these different personalities, which is tough. Sometimes yeah. you're the strong link. Sometimes you're the weak link. So, you know, all kinds of. Uh, but he. He has a unique ability to make people feel comfortable right away. And we talk about that. And hmm. Gigi Fernandez is, is part of it. You're part of it, which is great. You talk about the five biggest uh, singles mistakes. Mm-hmm. Then we have Ryan Reedy, who might be the fastest growing YouTuber tennis coach. And I think he's like killing on TikTok. He's killing all over. I don't know how the guy does it. He's obsessed. That's how he does it. That's, yeah, exactly. and, um, and he's going to go over the five biggest doubles mistakes. Uh, we've got Will from Fuzzy Yellow Balls, who works mm-hmm. with the Bryan Brothers and GG and Pat Rafter yeah. and everybody. Ian from Essential Tennis, who's mm-hmm. at closing in on 300,000 subscribers on YouTube. Hurricane we've got Ian. Top, top Tennis Training, who might even have more subscribers than than Ian. And uh, I think there are over 300,000. And, and uh, Alex, if you don't know who he is, he, used, he was a practice partner to Roger Federer at the uh, year-end championships. And... That's just scratching the surface. It just starts to get obnoxious if I keep going. But those are just a few. Uh, so I yeah, it's like, na- be great. I want you to name all forty right now. No, I'm kidding. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I it's probably just, could do it. I probably no, no, could, you, but you probably I don't think could. You want to listen to it? Ah, yeah. Well, they'll they'll see it. They'll definitely see it yeah. when they go to tennisfiles.com/slash/tenniscon6. So T E N N I S C O N six. Um, yeah, really excited for it, Pete. Yeah. Can you give us like, uh, give us the dates as well and any other, um, you know, activities. Yeah. So by the time you're seeing this, you can probably get your free ticket. Mm-hmm. If you do decide to upgrade to lifetime access already inside the membership, I have the, uh, six big bonuses, which are, um, winning at your level. Uh, singles and doubles, gain to the next level, singles and mm. doubles. The audio recordings will be there, but they're not there yet. And then um, the sixth one is going to be the VIP hotline where you can ask me questions and send in videos. So, so, but your singles and doubles bonuses are already in the membership. We're going to keep putting more and more videos in there. Uh, the videos will start to appear 
on Monday, October 17th. That's when we have our first official day releasing the TennisCon uh, six lessons. Awesome. Awesome. And once again, you know, I like to highlight this with Peter. I mean, Peter is, <laughs> it's incredible, like how Peter gives like, you know, I mean, all those bonuses are, are, are awesome, but like the one where you can send in videos, like I've seen instructors like charge a ton of money for to send in a video to be analyzed. And that's going to be one of the bonuses if you pick up TennisCon 6, um, which just by itself is worth, you know, 20, 30 X, I don't know, like a ton more than like what the, what the price is. Uh, just, just being totally honest, because mm -hmm. I mean, I can tell you like going back through tennis con six, um, and, and seeing like so many fantastic, like technique tips and like workouts and, and strategy tips, like that makes such a huge difference. Um, if you're an obsessed player, you definitely want to, uh, pick up the all access pass to, uh, tennis con six. So, and yeah, I mean, again, like I can't wait to, uh, to check it out. Uh, it's going to be a lot of fun and, um, yeah, I mean, uh, anything else you want to let us know about tennis con, maybe there's going to be some like really cool people like doing live streams and such. Hey, well, yeah, we're going to do, we're going to do the kickoff party, uh -huh. which is going to be great. We're doing yeah. the, the, the kickoff party on Sunday. Mm -hmm. October 16th. And then you're going to come on a couple times and Gigi's probably going to do a, uh, one with us. So that's awesome. going to be pretty cool. Nice. And cool. Yeah. So cool, man. We got a lot. Cool. Jeff Saldenstein is going to do a live stream. Nice. He's former top 100 ATP pro. Yeah. Yeah. I love the yeah. live streams. They're so much fun. Um, obviously a lot of work on your end, but but they really bring out the uh, engagement. So I can't wait for those as well. Um, it's so great to, to do live streams with like, you know, people like commenting and, and things and, uh, and yeah, so can't wait to do that, Peter. Um, so I just want to ask you one more question, actually, well, two more questions. One is, oh. is there anything else I like? Sorry. Is there anything else that maybe I did not cover or ask you about that you just want to, uh, mention, you know, I just like to give guests the floor uh, nowadays before I uh, continue. Oh, that's very nice of you. Uh, I don't think so, guys. I really think we covered a lot and um, I don't really have much more to add. Uh, so, no. <laughs> okay. I hope they, Excellent. I hope they enjoyed it. I hope, I hope they learned at least one or two things out of today. Oh, definitely. Yeah. Very, very motivating and, uh, you know, fun chat. And, you know, I just can't wait to keep chatting with you and doing live streams and, uh, you know, us collaborating on content and more in the future for sure. And hopefully seeing you, uh, in person again, one of these days, uh, it was really cool to see you at the, at the city open, um, you know, a couple months ago, but, um, last question for you, Mar um, Marathon, oh, by the way, guys, sure. Better looking in person. Oh my gosh. Thank you. So you too, actually, I no. to be uh, honest, like not just, you know, returning the favor and whatnot, but like, you look like you're in good shape. Uh, and yeah, I, I don't know. I was just so excited to see you, man. Uh, so it was good. We got to do more than, uh, more than one day next time, but, uh, yeah. So my, my last question for you is what is one key tip that you can give our audience to help them become a more obsessed tennis player? Oh my gosh. Well, here's one key tip. Just go on YouTube every day and watch Federer highlights now that he's retired. <laughs> yeah, I think, I think if you can't get inspired watching Roger Federer highlights, 
yeah, and all the amazing uh, passion he's brought to the game, then tennis is probably not the sport that you like. <laughs> That's a very, very unique and good one. And yeah, obviously pretty sad. Uh, you know, I, I, I was watching uh, Federer's last match um, at Labor Cup, like, after my mixed doubles match, I believe it was at sectionals in Virginia. And, uh, it was tough. I remember going to the hotel after that. And then like rewatching like the, um, the more emotional parts and the speeches and just like, you know, shedding a tear or two, I'll, I'll have to say, oh, but, um, oh, yeah. I don't think anybody yeah. didn't how, I, yeah. how I learned about that. And then, and then we'll let everybody go is, um, so I was teaching a camp all weekend, so I couldn't watch mm. labor cup like I wanted to. Yeah. And then one of my students who actually came to one of my two of my, well, he's come to three or four of my camps now. This guy is great. Yeah. His name is Bashkar, Bashkar and mm. he loves Federer. And he sent me a text that, uh, that he was crying <laughs> and that he couldn't <laughs> watch it anymore. Okay. And, uh, and so I, then I, um, I called him, you know, and, and uh, kind of calmed him down and everything. He uh. was really quite, I mean, he's, he loves tennis, and um, we started to play tennis after he lost his dad at co with COVID, and that. Oh that, wow. That, wow! Yeah, so tennis means a lot to him, and Federer means mm. a lot to him, mm. and uh, and then and then he went out, and he went to the court, and he practices serve, and then he sent me a video of his serve to analyze. So, um, you know, that was pretty pretty cool, but uh, yeah, yeah very. Very special, very uh, special player, and uh, you're doing special things, uh, Peter. So thank you for uh, you know for just generally your service to tennis. And uh, again, TennisCon can't wait. Uh, go to tennisfiles.com/slash/tenniscon6. The link will be in the show notes page, and you can check it out at tennisfiles.com/slash/podcast for for this podcast and all the other ones. So yeah, sign up for TennisCon. It's going to be a blast, and we'll see you all there. And Pete, thanks again for taking the time to be on the show. Talk to you soon. All right. I really hope that you enjoyed my interview with Coach Peter Freeman. Pete, as always, thanks so much for coming onto the show. It was a ton of fun. And uh, if you enjoyed this interview, we'd really appreciate a review if you could leave one um, at tennisfiles.com slash Apple Podcasts or in your favorite podcast app that you use to uh, listen to the show. And uh, also really, really want to highly encourage you once more to register to TennisCon 6, and you can do that at tennisfiles.com slash TennisCon 6, and it starts on October 17th, so hopefully you're listening to this before then. You can grab your free ticket to watch all the presentations, and then if you'd like to, uh, upgrade to the All Access Pass to get lifetime access to all the videos, plus some really fantastic bonuses. And yeah, just looking at the roster here, it's crazy good. I mean, you've got you know, 17-time Grand Slam champions Gigi Fernandez and Mark Woodford, uh, mainstays in the online tennis world like Ian from Essential Tennis, uh, Will Hamilton from Fuzzy Yellow Balls, uh, Cruz Sell, who's a former 400 ATP pro, top 400 rather, Scott Nate from Player Court, Alex and Simon from Top Tennis Training, Ryan from Two Minute Tennis. So yeah, just a really great lineup. So I'm definitely looking forward to watching it. As you know, I... And one that loves, you know, learning and improving my game and sharing it with you all. So uh, this is, you know, one of the biggest events that I always look forward to each year. So yeah, tennisfiles.com slash tenniscon6. And I also want to leave you with a quote, as I often do at the end of the show. And this one is by Stephen Hawking. 
And Stephen said, however difficult life may seem, there is always something you can do and succeed at. Love that quote by Mr. Hawking. So with that, uh, thanks so much for listening. And we've got some really fun interviews coming down the pike for you all that um, have been recorded. So I, yeah, can't wait to uh, share them with you. And yeah, with that, have a fantastic week. Stay dry uh, over here. It's been raining quite a bit and, you know, stay safe, especially if you're in the south of the United States, such as Florida and, um, you know, Georgia and such. Um, I know that obviously it's been really crazy down there. So best wishes to you all. And fortunately, I've contacted some of my tennis friends down there. I have a couple in Tampa and, you know, they're doing all right. So that's great to hear. So, all right, with that, Thanks so much for listening, and I'll see you on the next episode of the Tennis Files Podcast. This is your host, Mirban Aranshad, signing out. Thanks for listening to the Tennis Files Podcast. For more tips to help you improve your tennis game, visit TennisFiles.com.